Hello and welcome to this episode of Sarah Fisher Talks Connective Parenting. I am really excited to be back with you this week and sharing something a little bit different. I was recently asked um, in my membership group for parents, the Connective Parenting Hub, to share some success stories of how the approach has worked and helped families. And so I shared my story of how I've used this approach to totally change our family life at home and the longer term impacts that it's had on us as a family. And as part of that, I also shared um, a story of two different families that I know who have also used NVR to bring around significant change in their family lives as well. They're both shared anonymously, as I'm sure you can understand. And I'm not sharing them with any information that would enable anybody to find out who they are. And I do have their permission to share the story as well. So this week I am going to um, yeah, share my story. And I'm actually going to swap over now to the, uh, the recording that I made within the Connective Parenting Hub for you to listen to. And if you want more support and advice, come and join us in the hub. It's there for you to help and support. So without any further ado, I will swap you over to the recording. So my story, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm a single adopter. My son is 13 now. He was, he moved in six years ago, just over six years ago. And, you know, like all adopted kids, he'd not had the best start in life. Things have been pretty tricky for him. And he moved in and I thought I had this parenting malarkey sussed. I had watched God knows how many episodes of Super Nanny. I'd done my three days adoption training, admittedly, two years before we moved in. Um, I worked in schools, so I knew kids. I'd worked out in Kosovo as an aid worker, working with the kids out there. Um, And obviously some of their experiences are horrendous. I was a mentor with the Prince's Trust. Um, I had run Sunday schools for years. You know, I'd done lots and lots of stuff around kids all of my life. And I honestly thought I had this parenting thing sussed. So when my son moved in and within a couple of days it started going wrong, I was really quite shaken. And, you know, I'm a single adopter, so there's only me here. At the time, my parents lived abroad, so they weren't around anyway. Um, My brother was around and he was fantastic, but nobody really knew what to do. So we had two honeymoon days and on day three, my son had his first meltdown, which was, I think it lasted several hours. Um, And, you know, I did the the naughty step, the telling him off, all of that kind of stuff, because I hadn't been told to do anything different. Within a few weeks, um, he started to get more and more aggressive verbally and more and more argumentative. And I was told to kind of clamp down on it even more and be firmer and, you know, so that's what I was doing. And then I realised it just, it didn't seem to be helping. His behaviour was getting worse and worse and worse. And he was becoming violent. Um, I was regularly having, being hit, kicked, punched, having things thrown at me. And yes, he was only seven and he was a very small seven-year-old. Um, and I could kind of pick him up and carry him around still, a bit like a toddler, but, you know, a bit bigger obviously than a toddler. Um, getting him to school in the morning he was usually up by half five most mornings um, and sometimes I'd find him up watching telly at like half one in the morning Um, and it was really really tough Um, I was covered in bruises 
I was managing to get him to school, but sometimes, you know, despite being up at half five in the morning, we didn't make it on school on time. I was very lucky. I had a phenomenally supportive school who really got it um, and were trying to do everything they could. Um, with their knowledge of attachment, um, they did more training. They had a lot of adopted kids there, um, you know, but it was still really tough. Then um, by the July, so this is what, three, four months in, things were getting worse. And it was it was very, very difficult. We were regularly having two to three hour meltdowns. And when I say regularly, we were having a meltdown at least once a day and a long one two or three times a week, maybe. Um, it varied. He was hitting, hitting, kicking, punching, tried to strangle me on a couple of occasions, throwing things at me, uh, shouting, screaming. And it just, nobody seemed to know what to do to help. Nobody seemed to be able to give me a way of helping. We started doing some therapy, some play therapy that mm, helped a little bit, but not a lot. Um, and then this kind of carried on and I tried lots of different things. I realised the shouting wasn't working, so I was trying my hardest not to do that. Um, I was trying my hardest to stay really calm, to connect with him, to help him when he was struggling, but it really wasn't easy. And... I was being told that I needed to be harsher with him. So this carried on and I remember going back to school in the September with him and school saying, we didn't think you'd be here. We didn't think you'd make it. And, you know, social workers saying to me, if you want to walk away from this, that's okay. I knew in my heart of hearts I couldn't and I didn't want to anyway. So we carried on and um, after about nine months of him living with me, I went on a one day workshop on NVR. And this is, what, five and a half years ago now, when MVR really wasn't very well known about at all. And my social worker handed me this bit of paper and went, might as well give it a try, you never know. And I was like, nothing to lose, I'll go. Um, so I went up to this one day workshop and I'll never forget sitting in a room with um, oh, lots of parents. And at the end of the day, having listened to all of their stories, I felt lucky. I felt lucky that I was only being hit and kicked and punched and having things thrown at me. And, you know, that was a real kind of eye opener for me. I also realised that I had to do something while he was young um, because it was going to be easier than leaving it till he was a teenager. And actually, if he tried to strangle me now, I might not have the strength to stop him. Um, and during the day, I came away thinking, wow, this approach makes so much sense. It really resonated with me. I could see how it could work. Actually, I could see how it could work in all different environments. You know, I was back working in the school. I could see how I could use it, not just with the kids, but with the staff as well. I could see the power in it. And so I came away and started implementing it at home. Uh, just a little bit. So there was no support really around. So I just had to kind of work it out as I went. And I decided I wouldn't try and implement all of it at the same time, but I would do bits and pieces. So I started implementing the bits that I could do when I could do it. And we eventually, you know, I started to see some change. The hardest part was changing my reactions. You know, for me, the hardest part was I was already trying to stay calm, but we all know how hard it is. And so trying to stay calm in the moment, trying to really raise my presence, even when sometimes the last thing I wanted to do was be anywhere near my son. Um, you know, and he's a very funny kind caring kid um but sometimes i was just like 
don't want to do this anymore. Particularly, you know, if you've been busy at work or something like that, connecting isn't high on your priority list um, when your child's being difficult. So I wanted to do that and I started implementing it and I started to see changes, which made me even more determined to implement it as quickly as I possibly could um, and really put it into place. And as I started to do it, I started to see more and more changes and this kind of snowball effect happening. So I did the course in the January and in the May, I just thought, you know, I need to get this out to more families. I, I really need to get this out to more families and spread the word as much as I can. So I signed up to do the professionals training, um, which was a full, full um, kind of, I did the full advanced training. And that course started in the September. I did the first block of that, which is four days. And we've had no violence really since then. So when I say no violence, I'm not saying I haven't had the odd slap, the odd hit, the odd kick. Um, you know, I don't still get verbal aggression sometimes, but he's angry and I'm angry and I shout sometimes. But we're not having that level of violence. We have created a connection that works. And yes, we still have what I call our little five minute Barneys. Um, but I don't want a robot for a child. I want a child who has emotions. And on the whole, he manages them really, really well. Um, and so that was what coming up for five years and the changes have continued to grow. Now, I want to be really clear. I have implemented the MVR approach, but I have also used other therapies when appropriate. So we've had a tiny bit of life story work. And I mean a tiny bit, like six or seven sessions of life story work. The biggest impact for me has been the occupational therapist. Um, I'm really helping my son with those early developmental blocks that had myth, he had missed as part of you know his early childhood experiences. I've no doubt that that's had a huge impact on him. On top of that, I have learned more and more about um, his needs and how I can implement them and support them at home. Because for me, going to a therapist once a week is great. But if I then wasn't parenting him, using this approach, helping him understand his emotions and really growing it and developing it in the way I have, um, then it wouldn't have been as effective. And it has been a lot around me and me thinking, OK, how can I do this differently to help me and him? And that has been, for me, the bit that has made the difference. Now, I'm not saying that I'm some super amazing parent who has managed to solve all these problems and look at me, I'm doing it better than you. I'm not saying that at all because, trust me, I have had plenty of times when I have almightily ballsed it up. Um, and I have no doubt at times that the decisions I've made, the responses I've given him have made it worse. Absolutely. Or have... Un feel like they've undone some of the work that I've done. Um, but on the whole, we have totally moved forward. And yes, there are still things to do. You know, I've got a 13 year old. Um, there are still things we need to change and work, not change, develop more. But a child isn't a fully developed person anyway. That's part of their normal development processes. Um, and yes, I've been lucky that I've had schools who have really understood and I have been able to work with them and maybe understanding the system helps. Um, I also believe in staying really calm when I'm talking to them. Yes, I get cross and yes, they're well aware if I'm angry about something, but I don't go in all guns blazing most of the time. 
Um, I will say, look, we've got this issue. We need to talk about it. Can we please work through what's going on? And personally, I found that more effective than going in all guns blazing and shouting at them. So that's in a, in a nutshell, that is my story. You know, we have moved forward. I have not hidden my son's past from him. Um, we talk about birth family when he wants to, when it's appropriate for him. We talk about what he's gone through um, again when he wants to. For me, it's child led. Um, we have talked about the issues and the impact that they have on him and how that has an impact on the way his brain works, um, the way he responds to things, the way he reacts to things. Obviously, all of that has been done in, a, in an age appropriate way. But it has helped him to understand himself and why he reacts the way he does sometimes and moved us forward. And yeah, you know, on the whole, I've got a, well, not on the whole, I have got an adorable, kind, caring 13 year old who is working hard on what he loves doing. And like any child, you know, he loves gaming, he loves editing videos, he loves graphic design, he loves coding and all of that stuff. And that's where his focus is. And certainly during lockdown, he's worked really hard on that side of stuff. Um, you know, get him to do other things. And he's like, don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. Which I get and I understand. Um, you know, we, we all are able to do the things we want to do and don't focus on the things we don't want to focus on. So that is um, our story Yeah, in a nutshell. Um, there is a much longer version in my book, Adopting Solo, if you really want to read it. There's the whole first two years of our life together, um, fairly warts and all. Um, but, you know, I I am so, so passionate about this approach and spreading the word and using it alongside the relevant, appropriate therapies for your child. Um, so my son has worked um, with a couple of other therapists very, very well. We've had a couple of therapists where it just hasn't worked because the connection between him and the therapist hasn't worked. Um, and that's not to say that type of therapy isn't the right. It may have been that it was the wrong time. It may just have been the wrong therapist. Um, and, and for me, that's part of the power of MVR, that it works alongside the things at the same time. It is without a doubt easier to support our children when they're younger because their brain is is very plastic um, and again, you get that developmental stage when they're kind of in early teens, when their brain is very plastic and it's easier at those times to work with them and to support them. But we also have to remember it's really scary for them as well to change and that any change, anything that puts them outside their comfort zone is really scary. So you have to very slowly um, lengthen their comfort zones or stretch their comfort zones so that they are ready to step out of it. So that's our story that I wanted to um, share. I wanted to share um, one from a couple that she haven't spoken to for a couple of years now, um, but they were part of my kind of early journey with MVR. And they had come to MVR when their son was 14. Yeah. At what was a very, um, I think they would describe it as dangerous time. Their son had put a knife to his dad's throat a couple of times. Um, he threatened to stab them. You know, it was that level of stuff going on at home. They started working with um, an MVR practitioner and therapist. And when I met them, their son was 17. No, 16. Yeah, he was 17 while we met them. And 
things had hugely improved. They were certainly weren't good, depending on how you define good, but they were hugely improved. They'd had no knife incidents for a while. Um, their son was struggling with school and wasn't engaging, but he was. Um, he was really into baking and uh, chocolate making, chocolatier. Um, and when they could get him engaged in that, he, they had a difficult. So they were really focused on engaging him with those things and helping him to grow and develop and understand himself. They'd also managed to get other role models for him who and supporters, I suppose, who he would um, talk to and connect with in a way he couldn't connect with his parents. And I remember dad saying, I think he is ashamed of how he has behaved at times and so struggles to connect with us. Um, so we use our supporters a lot because it really helps them. So that's, you know, they had seen huge changes, but I know that there were still really difficult times for them when they felt like, what's the point? It's not working. But over time, one of the things they had done is kept a diary. They could see that things had got better. Um, and I will never forget dad saying to me um, at a workshop that we were co-facilitating, if we hadn't found MVR, I'd probably be dead. And that was a real eye-opener and a kind of bit of a whoa moment um, because he said, you know, my son's the same height as me. If he gets that knife, I'm a goner. And he said, you know, now we can have knives in the house and I don't think I'm going to die. So I think we have to really think about what is good, what is better, how are we moving forward? We have to keep believing that things can improve and I know how blinking tough that is when things are really, really tough. There's also the coronavirus is causing a lot of struggle for a lot of children and adults where they're really, really struggling with it. And I think that is having a huge impact on lots of behaviours. Well, I don't think we know it is having a huge impact on a lot of behaviours. I have parents who've been doing really, really well and all of a sudden have come back to me and gone, oh, Sarah, it's going really, really wrong. Yeah, 12 weeks locked in a house altogether without the routine, with a fear of what's going on in the world. I'm not totally surprised if I'm honest. Um, it, it's really tough. So that's my story and the story of a family with an older teenager. I want to share one more, um, which is a story with young children, um, four and six. When I started working with them, they were having daily meltdowns several times a day. The kids predominantly on each other, but also on to mum. And it was really, really difficult. We managed to put in some pretty big changes fairly quickly using um, sensory work and sensory breaks throughout the day. Um, they actually had to start with about every 20 minutes, uh, sometimes 30 minutes, so that they could really release the pressure before they got into kind of child milk. So that is absolutely, um, for them, was the big change. For them, that putting that sensory stuff in made a huge difference. Now... I am still in contact with them. Things are not perfect. Their kids are still struggling. Um, but what they have done is by putting in those breaks, they've reduced the meltdowns. It's enabling them to connect with their children more. It's enabling their children's needs to come to the surface more for them to be more easily identifiable in terms of what they need um, and the types of things they may need for the rest of their life in terms of support. 
so they are having less meltdowns children the children are more engaged in school they're more able to go to school they're more engaged in kind of everyday you know just cleaning their teeth and getting in the shower kind of stuff um and i think all of those things are helping them move forward and i know they've seen huge change um during that time but i say it's not perfect um but they have seen big changes and for them it really was about managing the sensory diet a lot throughout the day to allow the other things to come to the surface and to allow that connection to be made um and that's where for them they've been able to raise their parental presence um and de-escalate things differently which is creating more connection so yeah i just thought i'd share those three stories um well obviously mine and two others as, as a way of raising some hope i don't know showing showing there's hope i mean raising hope's not the right word um depending on your child's needs everything could be different you know there's no this isn't a magic wand and i know when things are going really wrong it's really hard to believe that things could ever ever change but if your child is you know even if there's a tiny chink of light and that chink of light is only visible once every two months then if that was never visible, you're moving forward. But I know that feels really, really tough. Um, and I know that sometimes, you know, you might be seeing a positive win and thinking, but it's nothing really in the grand scheme of things. And I absolutely get that. I absolutely get that. Um, I would say keep going, ask for help and believe that things can get better. Um and that better is going to be different for different people, um, depending on needs and situation and all of those things. It is definitely harder uh, the older the children are because the behaviours and the traumas are more, um, even more embedded in their brain. So their automatic reactions and their, the wiring of their brain is, um, is much stronger. And it's harder to change that the older we get. It we have to do it more and more and more to um to to move the wiring, if that makes sense. Um to create new habits, to um to create new patterns in our brain, we need to practice it more, which is even harder. Um, but it doesn't mean you can't get there. So I hope this is kind of a giving you a bit more information about me, um, and shared my thought um and my my story more, but also shared kind of a couple of other family stories um of, of how they're doing and and giving you some some hope and some belief in the future because i really do believe that this approach used with things like sensory attachment interventions um or various therapies depending on what works for your child be that equine therapy or a talk therapy or um hypnosis any of those things can really really help um so yes that's what i wanted to jump on and to say today that was the recording that i made the other day for members of the connective parenting hub and i really hope that by hearing that story it helps you to see that there is hope that things can change it's not about being perfect it's just about persisting and being as consistent as you can be and adapting what we use and what we teach to meet our child's needs over time i truly believe that every one of us can do that and i'm always in awe of the parents that i talk to and work with and support and just how strong they are 
and then just how dedicated they are to their children and doing everything they can to support their child. So that's all for me for this week, for this episode of Sarah Fisher Talks Connective Parenting. As always, if you need any help or support from me, please don't hesitate to come and find me. My website is uh, www.sarahpfisher.com or you can find me on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, whichever is your preference. And all the links will be in the show notes for the uh, this week's episode. I hope that's OK. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Bye.